0: Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, Kindness And forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by practice and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed by the law, and if you are assured that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? While you say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that our salvation does not depend on following these laws, Lord, but on believing in Jesus as your son and in his cleansing blood. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds today that we may hear you. Lord, I ask that you would pour out your wisdom into the pastor as he speaks from your word, Lord. That through your spirit, you would use his words to reveal to us, Lord, the areas in which our hearts and our thoughts are not aimed toward you, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Amen.
1: Alright, let's see. My I good? I'm unmuted. You guys hear me alright? Yes. Yeah. Alright, uh, I have a confession. Um, I'm in an, a little bit of an extra good mood right now. Um, because uh, in spite of my rambling last service, technical difficulties, whatever, I got to talk to a guy after the service who came up and he said, it was his first time here. And he told me that, he says, I'm, I'm investigating different world religions. But what he said was, if what you say Jesus did for me is true, and if what you're saying about what he did for me is true, he says, I feel like my heart wants to know Jesus. And so, pff, I'm in a good mood. Um, yeah. So, I did promise for you guys, though, that you would welcome him. And you would come alongside of him, and, uh, and he'll be back. He said he's coming back. Uh, so I want to say thank you to you guys for welcoming um, me and my desert people. Um, if, you, if you drive four hours out in the middle of nowhere, right about the moment you lose hope, get off the freeway, and there's Elko. Uh, you'll find us there. Um, but we're excited to be here. Um, I wanna, before I start rambling the second time, I want you guys to know uh, something. Uh, I want you to know... How blessed you are to have a pastor like Pastor Kyle Bateson. Um, I, I seriously joke, but not really. I want to be him when I grow up, I think. That's my <laughs> kind of thing. You guys should know that he carries a lot of weight, uh, even through our, our organization, Acts 29, and different things on our Livingstones network. But what's amazing to me is even in spite of all of that, every time I sit down to talk with him, um, his heart beats for you all. Uh, and so please know you're blessed and you have, you have an awesome team, and Pastor Kyle and, and the other elders here. Um, please don't take them for granted. Um, but I, I want to jump in here. Uh, last week, the Apostle Paul addressed what was the problem with humanity. Okay? He stated clearly for us that there are two things that attract the, the judgment and wrath of a holy and righteous God. Okay? He told us clearly that those two things, first, one is ungodliness. Ungodliness. And ungodliness is our broken, vertical relationship with God okay? through, through our rebellion against Him. It, it, it's our desire to worship creation rather than creator. It's our desire to find our identity and fulfillment and joy and peace and satisfaction in anything besides Him. Okay, Ungodliness will attract and justly the wrath and, of, a, of a holy God. But the second thing he mentioned that would do that is unrighteousness or wickedness, which is our broken horizontal relationships with one another, Uh, our our failed morality, if you will, according to the standards of God. Uh, Now, in Elko, last week at my church, I mentioned how these two words, ungodliness and unrighteousness, are relational words, and they're actually the breaking of what Jesus himself said in Mark 12, were the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. And we have a problem, according to Romans chapter one, and that's that we're all guilty of not loving God and not loving our neighbor. So we have a problem, okay? Um, By the way, I love so much how we can read about our broken vertical relationship with God and our broken horizontal relationship with others. And then we can see both our vertical and horizontal brokenness redeemed in the cross of Jesus. That gives me hope. That gives me hope. Uh, but today, uh, Paul's going to show us now, and we know the problem with humanity. He's going to show us now the problem with religion. And so, the lens that I want you to listen to me talk today through is the problem with religion. In other words, our failure to address our sin problem through our deeds or through our morality. Okay, our failure to be able to rescue ourselves from sin and and our incredible need to be rescued from sin by the Lord Jesus. Okay? So. It's important as we jump into this now for us to remember a little bit about the context. Okay, Who, who is Paul addressing now in Romans? Now, if you know, Romans is, is the letters written to the church in Rome, and Paul's addressing two types of people in the church, Gentile people and Jewish people. Okay, They make up the church in Rome. And as you, as you read chapter 1 last week, I want you to know that when Paul would have been listing out some of these sins that are ungodliness and unrighteousness, some of the sins like the, the sexual perversions and, and the worship and making of idols and, and those kind of things, as the church in Rome would have read this letter, that, that, that particular list of sins would have garnered a really interesting reaction from the Jews who were part of that church. Because the Jews who were part of that church. Would have read that list in chapter 1. And had an attitude well up inside of them. Something like. Oh well thank God he's not talking about us. Okay? They, they would have said. Oh this, I hope that those Gentiles are listening to that. Thank God he's not talking about us. You see, as they would have read that list, sexual immorality and, and the making of idols, the Jewish people would have gone, oh, okay, we're off the hook because those are the sins of those people. Those are Gentile. Those are pagan sins. Those aren't our sins. He's not talking about us. Now, what's interesting is knowing this, okay, Paul in the next verses is going to speak directly into the Jews' world. He's going to speak directly and address their judgment of other people. Then he's going to address their own traditions, their own deeds, their own things that they are in fact holding to. And he's going to show them their failure to save them from the wrath of God. Okay? He's going to show them that what they find their comfort, security, worth, and identity in, apart from Jesus, is also deserving of the wrath and judgment of a holy and righteous God. All right, so let's just look at it. Um, We're going to read a lot of the Bible today. Uh, So look again in your Bibles, chapter 2. Let's read verse 1 through 11, and I'll, I'll kind of give you an aerial view of what's happening. Verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. I bet they had a little different reaction when they read that verse. They're like, it's turning. Verse 2, he says, look at this. He says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So, in these first 11 verses, Paul's message to the Jews is very clear. He is addressing directly the attitude of the heart of judgment that says, Oh, thank God I'm not like those sinners. He's speaking directly into this, and what he's doing is he's exposing their sin and showing them and telling them that even in their judgment of those people, they're not escaping the wrath of God that's coming at their sin. Just because they're setting themselves apart from those people who do those sins, Paul says, you don't don't escape the wrath of God. Further than that, Paul, I can't imagine like reading this, having this be for me in this context, Paul calls them out for committing much of the same sins as the Gentiles, as the pagans. Now this is really interesting, it's a big deal, because remember up to this point, Paul's never met these guys. Remember in Romans 1, he's like, I've always wanted to come hang out with you, like I've wanted to see you, I haven't made it yet. But yet, he is calling them out for committing a lot of the sins they're condemning. What we need to be reminded of here is that this is the Spirit of God at work through the Apostle Paul. Yeah. That, should, that should humble us, and that should, that should lead us to a place of worship. Okay, What's happening is, in verse 11, Paul's reminding them here. He says, listen, just by judging other people, you still have sin. You're not free from the wrath of God. Because, verse 11, he says, let me remind you. Uh, that God doesn't show partiality when it comes to His righteousness and His holiness. He doesn't just judge some sin and some sinners. He judges it all. So He's like, don't don't think that you're off the hook. Okay. Now now before I continue a little bit further, uh, as I was reading this, something jumped out to me, and I'm I'm gonna assume and hope it jumped out to you. Um, I want to address what Paul actually said in verse six. I don't know if you caught this. He says that. He will render to each one according to his works. Now, I don't know about you, but that actually seems to me like Paul is changing his mind from what he said in chapter 1 when he said that righteousness is a gift through faith. He's saying right here that we're going to be judged according to our works. So I don't know about you, but I'm kind of wondering now, which one is it? Is it, is it am I going to receive the righteousness of God by faith or by my works? Which one? Is it going to be? Listen, you need to know that in verse 6, Paul is actually quoting from an Old Testament Psalm 62, where David, the author of Psalm 62, is comparing two different groups of people there's one group of people who are against and plotting and scheming and deceiving against the king that God had set up for them. They were not buying into God's plan for them. And so they're, they're hateful and scheming and deceiving. And then David says, there's another group of people who are fully trusting in and finding their rest in God's plan for the people. And so what he's doing here is he's highlighting for us the difference between those who rely on themselves for salvation and those who will trust in God and his plan for salvation. So when we read what Paul says in verse 6, he'll render each one according to his works. We're supposed to walk away from that in light of chapter 1 saying, we have a problem and we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued, okay? In this section, that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's leading both the religious person and the rebellious person to consider their deeds that are trusted in for salvation and to repent of those and submit fully and turn to Christ for their salvation. Um, one more thing, too, that I need to say right here. I, I think we talk a lot at Livingstone's Churches about the grace of God. And praise God for his amazing grace, amen? amen? And i heard some of you go, mm, that's okay too. That's what we do in Mmm. Okay. Praise God for his amazing grace. But I want you to hear something before I move on. I want you to know that morality does matter in the Christian life. Okay? Morality does matter in the Christian life. Not as a means to salvation, but certainly as evidence and fruit of it. Okay, you, you've, you've got, what we do matters. Okay, Tim Keller uses the analogy of an apple, an apple tree. And he says, you look at an apple tree and you see these big luscious apples growing in the branches of the tree. And those apples are proof that life is in the tree, but they're not the source of life for the tree. The source of life is the roots, right? They're going deep and they're pulling nutrients in from outside of it to grow that beautiful fruit. You see, it's the same thing with our morality. Our fruit puts on display life, but not our, not not life coming from us, but life coming from Christ. Remember, John said that, Jesus said in John, that he is the vine and we're the branches. But Christian, what you do, how you live matters. Not as a means to salvation, but as fruit of the life that's been given to you. Um, Now, um, I'm going to actually not read verses 12 through 16 for sake of time. I asked Pastor Bateson for two and a half hours to work through this and he gave me 30 minutes. So I had to pick and choose. Um, But in in verses 12 through 16, uh, what Paul is communicating here is that to the Jewish people that just having the law of God, just having and knowing the commandments of God is not what saves a person from the wrath of God. You see, the Jewish people would have boasted that they had the scriptures, they had knowledge, they had the law, the commandments of God in their hands. And Paul says, just having it or knowing it is not what saves you. The law must be perfectly obeyed. He shows them that even further the Gentile people who don't have the law like they do have in fact the law of God written on their hearts that they have consciences that bear witness to what is right. And again, when you read this, you can kind of hear Paul echoing what he said in chapter 1 when he said that there's no excuse for humanity who has the revealed knowledge of God but suppresses the truth. He's saying it, it doesn't make you more awesome that you hold the law. The law must be fully obeyed. And again, we have another problem. None of us do it. None of us can. Later in Scripture we read that one of the things that's the purpose for the law is to show us the holiness of God and how far off we are from the holiness of God. We need a Savior. So the problem is we can't keep the law, neither can they. Look at verse 17 through 24, I'll read this part. He says, but... If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, by the way, listen to this like description that he paints of, of the Jews. Okay, Paul knows, Paul knows what's going on here. He says, If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. That's quite a rap sheet, right? Look at this, he says, verse 21, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Man, I'll tell you what, if I was a Jew in this church and I was reading Romans up to this point, I'd start to get a little worried right there. Because I feel like, he's, I feel again, he's, he's really turning the tables now. He's, getting, he's really getting all up in my business. And, and I, I don't know if I want to keep reading, but look what he says. He says, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, this is where this is where the Apostle Paul just he gets all up in their business. Right? The Holy, the, the Spirit of God is just, he, he's not holding back. And it is the power of the Spirit of God through Paul that is saying to them this reality. He's saying, Listen, you may be judging other people. Okay, you may have outwardly rejected the, the external sins of the Gentile people here, but he says you may have, you may have stood up and publicly told everyone that you are, you are rejecting adultery, rejecting slander, rejecting lying and sexual sin and violence. Paul says you may have done that outwardly, but he says your heart is sick with idols. He's like, that, just because you denounce something, doesn't remove you from the wrath of God. He tells them like, he says, he calls them out, again, without ever having met them, which still, that blows my mind, that everything that they teach, and outwardly condemn others for, they are in fact practicing, even if it's within their own heart. He says, you keep separating yourself from other people, but you're all sinners. You're all in need of a savior. And, as I, was, as I was studying this, I told the, the earlier service that as I was reading this and trying to put myself in their shoes, I had this picture come to my mind right here that this, this was like the grace of God backing religion into a corner, like cornering it, overwhelming it, showing religion that it is way bigger and more powerful than it. And, as I, and I think that's true. Because in this analogy of the grace of God backing religion into a corner, when you read the next four verses, you're gonna see some, Paul's gonna say something to these guys that is like downright shocking if you were a religious Jew. What Paul's gonna say next to them is like a really solid right hook to the jaw of religion. Look what he says. I'll read this and I'll tell you what's happening. 25 through 29. He says this, For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. If you're a religious Jew reading this, things just got real. Okay, things got real. 26, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter." His praise is not from man, but from God. You know what Paul just told them? He said to the Jews, your circumcision, which by the way, is is the outward sign that had set the Jewish people apart from others as the chosen people of God. Okay, He says to them that your circumcision means nothing if your heart has not also been circumcised by the grace of God. Like It counts for nothing. He says, what gives glory to God is not the religious outward facade that we put on or the rules that we keep in front of other people or the things that we stand up and, and announce that we're not a part of. What brings glory to God is a heart that has been transformed by grace through faith in Christ. Yes. That's what brings glory to God. It's, <laughs> I can't imagine reading this. It's like it's a direct assault on hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition now that Jesus Christ is on the scene. You see, although these these guys truly were not necessarily sinning in all ways publicly like the Gentile people were, what Paul's trying to show them is that they're still worshiping a false God, they're worshiping themselves. He's like, they're banking on their own goodness and rule-keeping and actions, and as pride wells up inside of them, they're making themselves their own God. And Paul says, the wrath of God is being stored up for you. I don't know about you, but that, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Like, they're, they're believing that their good deeds and they're not doing bad deeds is what is going to save them. They're finding their self-worth in their morality. They're, they're, they're thinking that they'll attain the righteousness of God by their rule-keeping. And this hits home for me personally. I grew up in a very, very religious system where I, I had pastors tell me growing up, and, it, and I'll, I'll just be honest, it messed me up. Ask Kyle. He knows my story. It messed me up. I had pastors tell me that that I was really worth nothing unless I did ABC and XYZ. Like the only time I can remember my youth pastor telling me that they were proud of me or that they loved me in any way was one night at youth group when I showed up and I actually memorized the five verses I was supposed to. Then, all of a sudden, they were proud of me. All of a sudden, they loved me. All of a sudden, I felt like I was doing something right. And what, what did that do? That made me into a person who felt like every moment of my life, I had to perform for people. That, that, that I was not going to be loved by God unless I did all the right things and said all the right things and looked the right way. It messed me up. I was trying to earn the righteousness of God through my own actions. You see, in that church is the problem with religion. The problem with religion is that Christ and his atoning work on the cross is set aside. And we rely on ourselves and our own works and obedience for our salvation. Humanity, it's amazing to me because I'm guilty of this, and and some of you are. All of us are at some point or another, but humanity would so quickly rob God of his glory in saving sinners by attributing the work of salvation to ourselves. Like so quick. Lord, have mercy. Oh, man. You know, I think that, I think sometimes it can be really easy to. Read a section like this and kind of join Paul in examining them. You know, kind of join Paul in, in, in examining other people. And, and here's what I think you need to realize, that, that I had to realize this week, is that uh, the Spirit of God who is writing through the Apostle Paul is actually in this text, not just at having us examine the the Jews and the Gentiles in the church in Rome, but the Spirit of God is beckoning us to examine ourselves right now. See, because if we only only look outward, we're being just like them. We're saying, oh man, that list of sins, well, thank God he's not talking about me. That's what Paul's condemning. And I think it's crazy because sometimes we can just get caught up in the religious motions and not even know that we're doing this. Now we want to, here's what I want to do. I, to help us not enter into pointing the finger or looking others, looking at other people, um, I want to ask us some questions and maybe invite you to do a little bit of self examination and reflection with me. Because um, right now, every single one of us in this room is in grave danger of trusting in our own merit for salvation. And, and and Christian, I want to say something to you because this is true for me. Um, if you if you find yourself in a time of just like spiritual, blah, you know what I mean. Doesn't that fit the scenario well? Blah. Like if you if you find yourself just with with a loss of joy, I can almost guarantee you that it is because you've forgotten the gospel. That that you you're you're trying to find your identity in yourself in what you do, all right? So I I wanna bring us into a time of self-reflection and say, how can we know if we are relying on our own goodness to save us? How can we know this morning if we're wearing masks of self-righteousness rather than trusting in Christ and his life, death, and resurrection for us? How can we know? I wanna invite you to examine yourself with me. I'm gonna ask you guys three questions and I would just ask you to be honest and think about these for yourself not your wife not your don't don't hear oh here we go pastor nathan you you ask my husband these things like that's not what we're doing okay for you do a little bit of reflection with me let me ask you this number 1 do you realize right now that apart from christ you are a hopeless sinner who is deserving of god's righteous judgment Do you realize that right now? That apart from Christ, you are a hopeless sinner deserving of God's judgment. Or how about this? When you think of people outside your church and how they live and what they do, do you look at them and shake your head and judge them in your heart? And do you thank God that you're not like them? Do you join the Jews in the text with an attitude of, man, I'm so glad I'm better than them. Or do you understand honestly that by nature, your own heart is just as religious or rebellious as theirs? And apart from the grace of God, you're no different than them? Like, do you acknowledge that about you? Or, or third, think of this when the day of judgment comes, Paul said it's coming. When the day of judgment comes, will you humbly approach the throne of grace, knowing that you're in need of mercy? Or if you're being honest, would you strut up to the throne wearing a necklace made of jewels that is your morality, your Bible reading, your prayer, your church attendance, your giving, your, that you're not like all those other sinners? When the day of judgment comes, how will you approach the throne of God? You see, I I think it's really easy for us to see and point out the sins in other people and to just completely turn a blind eye to our own sin. That's what I do. That's what I grew up doing. And I'll tell you that only in being honest before God will we find freedom from religion. Only when we're being honest, when we take these things out of the darkness of our hearts and put them in the light, give it a name, call sin, sin, and see that that's the grace and kindness of God that's meant to cause us to repent, to turn our back on it, and to turn toward Christ. That's where we're going to find freedom. And by the way, the same thing is true if you're in here and you're not a believer in Jesus. You know, by the way, I, can, I think I can speak on behalf of Kyle. I'm a little biased toward Living Stones. I think it's awesome. But if you're just here as an unbeliever, um, I want you to know that this church truly is a safe place for you. Uh, no one's going to judge you here. They're not going to make you do something that you don't want to do. If your heart is interested in engaging who the God of the Bible is, this is a safe place for you to do that. These people will love you. They will help you. They will care for you. But I want you to know, too, that um, whatever reason you're here this morning, maybe, maybe, actually, I remember this personally, but maybe you're just here because you just have a really, really annoying friend who will not stop inviting you. And you're like, if I go, will you shut up? Or maybe you just have family. You feel like always judging you maybe and, and you're just here to appease them. Like I don't, I don't really care how you got here. I want you to know why you're really here. Two reasons. Number one, you're here because God drew you here. Okay, it was actually his idea. But number two, you're here because God wants you to know that he loves you and that there is freedom and forgiveness and salvation for you in Christ. That's the reason that you're here. And so I want to close kind of with with this. I often tell my church in Elko, I say, hey, you know, sometimes sermon passages and texts are kind of hard, right? Like it's wrath and judgment and all these things. Sometimes people are like, why did I come to this church? I I want you to know something. There, There are some hard texts in Scripture, but all of Scripture, every word points to Christ. And so what I tell my churches is, hey, hang with me because if we're talking about the Scripture, we're talking about Jesus. And if we're talking about Jesus, we are always going to arrive at some really good news. Amen. Good. So I have good news for believers and unbelievers alike this morning. The good news is what we call the gospel. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want to tell you this. The good news of the Bible is this. That God has not left us alone to die in our religion or our rebellion that God had compassion on sinful humanity. And God, even though we were and are still sinning against God, God sent his son Jesus who willingly left his throne in heaven. Humility that, I mean, we'll never understand that till we see his face. Creator leaves his throne and enters into his own creation. Broken, jacked up, sinful, hypocritical, judgmental creation that we'd become. Jesus enters into creation so that he might save sinners. And Jesus comes and he does what we were unable to do. Jesus comes and he lives a perfect, sinless life for us. Fully obeying the Father in all things. Never breaking God's law. Then Jesus willingly goes and lays his life down, suffering and dying on a Roman cross. Paying the penalty for our sin, your sin and my sin, not his. Suffering and dying, shedding his blood, having his body broken, the scripture says, so that he might satisfy the wrath of a holy, just and righteous God that should be directed at you and me. Jesus hangs on the cross in our place, satisfying the wrath of God for us. He gives up his life is dead and buried in a tomb. And then three days later, Jesus Christ is raised by the power of the Spirit of God so that now anyone who would turn their eyes to Him and put their faith and trust in Him would find forgiveness from sin and would receive the joy of being a son or daughter of God. Did you hear me say anything about you in the good news? No. Only when we realize that the only thing that we bring to the table of our salvation is our sin will we find freedom from it. The good news is that Jesus Christ has lived, died, and risen again for us. And that means we can be free. We're free from religion. We're free from the condemnation of rebellion. Guilt, fear, and shame melt away in the face of Jesus all of our religion and rebellion church drown at the bottom of God's ocean of amazing grace. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We'll never be good enough. We'll never obey enough. We need to be rescued. And we've been rescued. So Living Stones, let us rely fully on Christ and rejoice in our salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone alone, In Christ alone. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you pray with me? Um, God, thank you for good news. Thank you that that shame and guilt and fear and feeling like I was a piece of garbage growing up is gone because I got Jesus. God, I pray for Christians and, and unbelievers alike in this room that the condemnation of the feeling that we have to earn the righteousness of God by our deeds and behaviors would melt away in light of the cross. God, I pray that the cry of our hearts would be, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Forgive us for our idolatry, and God, may the joy of our salvation return to us even now as we sing, take communion, And God, would we just be a people who praise you for amazing grace. We love you. Thank you for sending Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. And all God's people said.